0: This is a Crow's Nest Podcast. And welcome to Titanic Talkline. I'm Alexia, and I'm excited this week to have. Well, I've written down as Caldwell. Julie, what, what do you go by professionally? I'm sorry, I did not check this out.
1: <laughs> I'm actually Julie Hedgepeth Williams. Hedge- and I'm okay. The, my great uncle was Albert Caldwell, who was a survivor of the Titanic along with his wife and baby. And he was my um, kind of a surrogate grandfather to me, he's someone I knew well he was 26 at the time and he lived to be 91 so i heard the story from him over and over and over again so um uh, yeah although my name is not called well i would definitely think of him as a grandfather figure to me
0: i mean i think that fits is i mean it sounds like it was but was that your when your titanic story was you know growing up with with oh, him okay. as your
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah albert uncle al he was uncle al to me and, and to my mother and and father was my mother. He was my mother's uncle. And my sisters, we all called him Uncle Al, even though I think both of his wives over time called him Albert. But nevertheless, (laughs) uh, Uncle Al to us was very, very dear. And he loved to talk about the Titanic. I've since heard uh, many times from people, oh, my grandmother, my, you know, relative was um, so traumatized that, that we only found out on her deathbed. Mm -hmm. that she was on the Titanic. And Uncle Al was not that way. He talked about it from 1912 on and uh, lived to be, lived till 1977. I suppose the last time he spoke in public was 76. So Mm -hmm. he loved to talk about it. And it was a real privilege at the time. I didn't know how rare that was. I knew even as a child, that was a, it was a real cool thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Titanic, but I didn't realize how rare it was for someone to speak about it in such detail and so happily. Did he
0: just talk about the survival or did he talk about, you know, the experience of being on the ship as a whole?
1: He talked a little about both. Um, His story is much longer. I've written a book about him, Biography, A Rare Titanic Family, Mm -hmm. and that accounts for even starting a childhood for both he and his wife and their infant who was born You know, overseas, but um, all the way up. But what he mainly focused on, he would mention bits of his childhood to me, just as something in fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, in the end, he his main purpose was to speak about why they were in, in Siam, we say Thailand today, why they left, and their passage through Europe, and then onto the Titanic, and then getting rescued. Now, there was a lot more to the story ultimately, as I started to try to unravel it for the biography. Mm
0: -hmm. And it
1: was kind of a surprise. It was good stuff. But, uh, you know, he told a very extensive speech and gave it over and over again. And then over time, I was aware of how the Titanic had affected him Mm -hmm. after the time because he spoke about it. And he would refer to things like wanting his gold money back that he had left on board, you know, things like that. They were told in the I don't know, almost in that respect, being humorous, he always expected, he he envisioned they would raise the Titanic. He knew they would find it, knew they would right. find it, They'd raise it, bring it in. And he was walking on board to get his money back. He had left <laughs> it in his cabin. Anyway, they didn't find it quite in his lifetime. It was very close. He almost made it. But, you know, that was his goal.
0: <laughs> you know, that's fair. I, I am convinced. I don't know where, but I once put $20 in the pocket of something. And I still haven't found it. And I'm pretty sure that I still have whatever <laughs> garment it is. I know that money is gone, but in my brain, I'm doing, I'm doing exactly what your uncle Al did, which is going, I'm going to get it one day, one day. Exactly. <laughs> it's gone, man. Uh, that's, I find that really interesting because in the course of my doing this, we we'll just to punch my microphone. In the course of my doing this podcast, I've sort of realized that there's quote unquote three Titanic eras. There is sinking to discovery. Then there's discovery to Cameron film. And then there's post Cameron film.
1: (laughs) That's probably right. (laughs) I don't say that to be
0: uh, dismissive of other things, but just, I think that's more indicative of how how pop culture has changed over the years. And I think it is very interesting. Like you mentioned that he was so close to the actual discovery. I wonder how that would have, influenced him to you know to have that technology of the time be able to confirm things like that it did break in half to see those images and he sounds like he would have been really fascinated by it
1: oh he would have been he was very interested in the titanic as i say never shied away from talking about it part of that was because they were fleeing their jobs in siam but he and his wife sylvia had been missionaries in siam which of course we call thailand today mm-hmm. and they Left, he just said that he always said the climate did not agree with my wife's health, which was correct. And <laughs> they left, as it turns out, the story is much more intricate. They really were denied leaving, they were supposed to stay for five more years. Their boss <laughs> tried to block their path, he finally reluctantly let them go. So, in the end, the boss was kind of chasing them around the world. That's what I found out that he never talked about. It was very, jeez, oh, oh, it was awful when they got off the Carpathia, but the, the, the agent, agent of the boss was waiting to take her into custody. Uh, somewhat, um, you know, we, we'll never know because they, they did not do it, but they were not able to find her in the crowd. But um, was he married to Carmen
0: San Diego? My goodness.
1: <laughs> kind of. Oh, wow. That's, that's a lot. Really exciting. And and really they were just upset that the boss and their mission boss in Siam was upset that Sylvia had said she was sick and she was. Uh, uh, one of their friends left a diary and if I had, of course, Sylvia was pregnant. I think that was a whole problem. Sylvia had had baby Alden over in Siam, and it was obvious from the diary of her friend that she was having a really hard pregnancy. You know mm-hmm. that every time the friend mentioned her, Mrs. C is sick. She's going to have to go to the infirmary. She'll have to go home. This is I had to take take off work today to take care of Mrs. C. Oof. it was a pretty big deal, and um, and continually mentioning things like that. And I believe the boss thought, so you had a hard pregnancy. What else is new? you know, and I thought he thought, well, this is something that happens to women. It will be over with soon. She'll have a baby. But um, in the end, their doctor, um, because she had trouble recovering from childbirth, their doctor diagnosed that she had to go home because otherwise she would lose her mind. It was a, a, a time. And so they went crazy begging to go home, petitioning, and they finally got permission to go. And as soon as they had left, the boss changed his mind and he cabled ahead to, to New York to headquarters and he said hey Caldwells are on their way home when they arrive in New York have Mrs Caldwell examined by some of our doctors before you settle their account now they were traveling under the credit of the church presbyterian church and um it, it, they didn't have a credit card like we have today right but essentially they they had a letter of credit and the church was to pay for the voyage and if right. she were found healthy according to that direction from their boss if she were found healthy then either they would have to go back to Siam and finish their five more years of service Uh. or the the church would refused to pay, and they would have to pay for their trip home. And that was just really super expensive. They had saved $100 from their salary, which they had converted into gold coins quite by accident. Back then, people (laughs) carried gold coins. It was a legal tender in the US. And that's what's at the bottom of the Atlantic right now, those $100. Now, doing a conversion on that um, is roughly worth $3,000 today. And that would have bought them roughly only the passage across the Atlantic. So, they would have still had a lot of money to pay for getting from Thailand to Southampton and then from New York to um, Illinois, where they were going. And so they were very glad when in the end, the church did not make them pay. It would have been terrible PR for the church making. (laughs) pay. I I can't imagine that they would have succeeded in that. But anyway, um, it was, it was quite a, a cat and mouse game around the globe as their boss was waiting for them. And oh, it was pretty exciting. Anyway, I can't remember what your original question was, but I'm sure you could <laughs> let me know.
0: Good news. I've also forgotten the original question. Um, half the reason I so I met Julie at the Titanic convention this year, and not to say that other speeches were not good, but yours was my favorite because you talk like me, where you're like, I'm just gonna go till someone tells me to stop, and then someone does, and I'm like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: it. Well, have a- I give that speech all over the place, and I love giving it. And, and I actually shortened it a little bit because he only gave me forty-five minutes, so yeah. I was bummed about that to for an hour. But um, it, it's a great story, and I love telling it as kind of a tribute to Uncle Al. He was so dear to us, and um, uh, you know, so it, and I have it, you know, worked out to tell the entire story from what he told, mm-hmm. then as a break in the middle, what we found out. Because when Uncle Al passed away in 1977, among his effects that came to my mom was a photograph of them on the deck of the Titanic, which we didn't remember. We had never seen. He didn't remember he had. And this has been confirmed many times over. But that launched us into thinking there was more to the story than we knew. Where was this right. photograph? Who took the photograph? How did they get it? Because he had yeah. a camera down with the ship, you know, that sort of thing. And it was quite a, an unraveling of the huge story that was Uncle Al was absolutely accurate in telling his story of the, um, the sinking and, and you know, the trip on the Titanic, the sinking and the whole bit. Everything was accurate, but you know, there were parts that he never told that, that I found by that process.
0: I mean, I think that one of the common threads that I hear when I talk to people who are relatives of Titanic survivors is that there's always, you, you learn a couple of things posthumously. And it's like, it's not necessarily because these people were like, ooh, I have to keep my secrets. Shh, 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 no, no, no. It's just there may have been some parts that people either intentionally or unintentionally just
1: try to forget. I think that's quite possible because, in, in a way, I thought maybe Uncle Al was concealing the fact that they were being pursued by their boss. <laughs> we found great evidence. It's fair. That. But I thought also it may be that he, um, was not aware of it because in the end, what the, the boss was waiting with an ambulance to take Sylvia directly to Presbyterian Hospital for an examination. And I knew from that that letter in the church archives that they were not going to pay um, for their passage home if she were found healthy. It was it was okay. a shock, but they may no, have never known that it's possible that they were not told that they were simply picked. They were simply picked up. By yep. a friend from Missouri who happened to be there, uh, an official of the college they went to, and so this this friend picked up uh, picked them up and whisked them away to a hotel that was accepting Titanic survivors and putting them up for free. Of course, and it is possible that. None of them ever knew. However, <laughs> this friend was an official of their college and his brother was on the board of foreign missions and he knew the brother would have known about this yeah. conflict. And I'm not in, uh, beyond thinking that the brother told his, his brother who was visiting a town for a convention, pick them up and get them out of the way so that they don't have to paint no. their passage. So I think maybe he did know, maybe the friend picking them up knew about it and the Caldwell's didn't. Or maybe the Caldwells did, and, and Uncle Al kept it a secret, or maybe he'd forgotten over the years. I do have evidence that he forgot things over the years. Everything he told in the Titanic story was accurate, which I can tell you any of that if you like. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, like, I remember in 1912, where I found in 1912 in the press, he said the ship, Defendants, have broken half.
0: Right.
1: Whereas by the time he was um, 91, 90 years old, I, I remember we gave him the book, Raise the Titanic for Christmas, and that one has the Titanic going down hole and that was a going theory of the time. And he had read all the going theories. And I think he had just forgotten what he had seen or had figured, well, it was a long time ago. Maybe I didn't see it correctly. Yeah. So by the end of his life, he was saying it went down hole. So you see things like that, that I know at one point he, he said it one way and the other point he said it the other, but all in all his own story, you know, was always um, accurate and uh, borne out by history. So i guess I he was like, technical tales to someone else
0: i'd like to encourage people to 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 pick up your book if they if they haven't but for those who weren't able to you know go to the convention and maybe aren't would you like to tell you know maybe an abbreviated version
1: of, I, of your of your talk i would love to yeah. okay so um you know uncle Alan and sylvia met in college park college park university now and got married a few months after graduation, left that very day to go to Siam to become missionaries. Because think about it. They graduated in 1909. What's Sylvia going to do for a career? You know, this was a hard thing for young women in college at the time. And where, and she and went, where
0: is Park College, by the
1: way? was very near Kansas City, very close to Kansas City.
0: Thank you. I don't know anything about geography.
1: <laughs> so she... um She wanted to go to missionary work and they, they went. And the very first thing that happened to them was that she was very seasick on the way over and she kind of, of and that turned out to be a theme actually that, that brought them to the Titanic ultimately. So they had a, a short time enjoying uh, Siam as, as co-teachers at the Bangkok what's now called Bangkok Christian college. It's still there. It was always a K-12 school for boys even though it was called a college, um, and but then she became pregnant with Alden, their son, and apparently it was a difficult pregnancy, and that's when her, her health problems began to appear, and she was diagnosed, as I said earlier, that she should go home. Right? <laughs> Excuse me. And um, so they um, got permission to go after much pleading, as I found out. Now Uncle Al never told that they had to beg and petition and carry on, but finally they got permission. And uh, so they left on the Dareflinger from Singapore, and the uh made her seasick every single day, the whole time Ugh. they were in the ocean. Ugh. So <laughs> and apparently she's very seasick through the Suez Canal. Oh, right. When got to Naples, they were anticipating going to a spa for the condition that she had, the sickness that she had. Mm-hmm. Today, we don't recognize it as a sickness. They would probably say it was fibromyalgia or something like that today, okay. but... Nevertheless, at the time, it was called neurasthenia, and we don't have that diagnosis anymore.
0: I, and, I will admit that uh, I've never heard of that, and I do have fibromyalgia.
1: So she was <laughs> to go to a spa for three weeks. We do know that. And then suddenly, they didn't go for three weeks. Well, their grandson recalled that she was very afraid of cholera. And so I looked it up, but sure enough, Naples was riddled with cholera, and they arrived. Ooh. And so apparently, they said, you know what, we can't stay here. It's, it's not safe. Cholera, oh. dangerous, yuck, you know. Yes. So no, they agreed, apparently agreed they would take the first ship they saw leaving for the United States because this part he always told so they saw a ship in the harbor in Naples flying the American flag which meant it was leaving for America that day okay. so he asked the sailor hey what ship is that and he said that's the Carpathia leaving for New York today and oh, they wow. actually stood in line to get tickets on the Carpathia but they changed their mind, and I always thought, "Why?" You know, we never thought to ask why they changed their mind.
0: Yeah, that's my question.
1: Why? <laughs> exactly. But when I found out about the seasickness, and I knew I found out her comment that they had been she'd been seasick every single day on the flinger. I had this light bulb moment. I thought, "How big was the flinger? And it was the exact same dimensions as the Carpathia. And so she was that. looking at a couple more weeks of seasickness. Without oh, even a right break Yeah. And so at that point, they decided to go in and get a hotel room. She was exhausted from seasickness. Sure. And while they're in the hotel, they saw an ad for the Titanic, which is the largest ship in the world. And Uncle Al said, there, that's the ship we're taking. <laughs> well, the larger the ship, the less yep. the seasickness. So they had to make their way to the Titanic, which was sailing in three weeks. That was about the time they had attended to stay at the spa. So they went on an impromptu trip through Europe. Oddly enough, I discovered that at the time that was considered a poor man's trip. In that oh. fun, <laughs> considered an economical thing to do. Well, anyway, yeah, they now. trained through Europe and, you know, went to various parts of Italy and Paris. And they went across to London and um, and they checked in at the uh, hotel that we found. that was called the Banshee. The Banshee, yes. And um, Bansha, Bansha, not Banshee. Oh, Banshee. I was going to say,
0: I would love to stay at the Banshee.
1: Banshee shot it was and anyway they they um went in the next day to get tickets on the titanic and i would know they would have i was traveling with a letter of credit they probably had to go to the actual headquarters rather than just buy one from a ticket sales person in Naples. so they went in and uncle al said you know we want a second class passage on the titanic and Uh he said the clerk said sorry sold out and as my uncle always put it I must have looked like a very disappointed boy because the clerk said, oh, sir, every day there's a cancellation. If you come in tomorrow, you can have the first cancellation that comes in. So he got up early the next morning, went into the White Star, nervous and sweating. I remember he always said he was sort of trying to work out how how they would get home if this didn't work out. But around noon, a call came in and, and uh, it was a cancellation in second class, exactly what they wanted. So they got mm-hmm. it. And as they were on the boat train to Southampton from London, everyone was talking about how lucky they were to be sailing on the world's newest, largest, and most luxurious ocean liner and unsinkable. Now, it was (laughs) clear that Cobbles had not heard this term. This was not why they were taking it. They were taking it for seasickness sake, right?
0: Right. Practical (laughs) reasons.
1: They were kind of skeptical, especially Sylvia. She was so skeptical that when they got on board, the baggage handler took their, their travel trunk to go to their cabin. Right. And she said, "Is this ship really non-sinkable?" And he answered her with the most famous line ever spoken about the Titanic. I bet you know what it is. <laughs> Do God you? God himself
0: couldn't sink this ship.
1: That's what he said to her. Uh-oh. And that famous line is just used in every account of the Titanic that's fictitious. But it was really said to Sylvia Caldwell, and and that's pretty cool. So uh, Uncle Al remembered it as, "Here is a ship God Almighty cannot sink." But it was a similar, uh, you know, remembrance of it.
0: I feel like maybe we shouldn't say things like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It
1: was just a deckhand. That's what's so funny. People say, "Oh, the Titanic was struck down because their makers said this." Now, clearly, he had heard it, and other people had heard it. And I don't, right. you know, but it was funny to me that that famous line came from a deckhand.
0: Sure. Anyway,
1: so they did love the ship. They said it was absolutely wonderful. It was so big and so stable. Sylvia was not seasick. It worked. Hey. It was- Yeah, it was the first time she'd ever been on a ship and not been seasick. Poor uh, thing. (laughs) I know, and it was just a gorgeous voyage, and and, as Uncle Al would put it, the tables were piled high with all the luxuries and delicacies one could ever want, and because she was not seasick, Sylvia could eat them. That was even better. Uh, (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes, that's the thing. I was going to say, like that must be super disappointing to have everyone talk about how good
1: the food is, and you'd be like, that's great. I can't give
0: anything down.
1: Exactly. And she had had severe trouble with that and it really did govern their desire to go on the Titanic. Anyway, so, um, of course, on the night of April 14th, there in the evening, I guess might be more accurate timing. They went to the church service in the second class dining saloon, and it was mainly um, a hymn scene. But the volunteer pastor uh, gave a short sort of homily sermon on uh, for those in peril on the sea based on the old naval hymn uh eternal father strong to save who whose line ends with oh hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea of course they had no idea they were the ones in peril it was meant to be a metaphor (laughs) and anyway um it was very cold they noticed that and they they normally took Alden out for a spin on deck but he it was too cold so they went to bed to stay warm and um Uncle Al went to sleep on the lovely vibrating, you know, vibrating with the ship's movement, the bed. Uh, very comfortable, he said. <laughs> and, um, and, um, Selby was sharing the bottom bunk with the baby. And it's very clear he'd been fussy that day as we came to find out. But anyway, I don't know how she got any sleep. I'll be honest, boy. She Aww. was she was kind of lying awake or dozing lightly when the ship hit the iceberg and she felt it shudder Ugh. she always described it as like a small uh, a, a large dog shaking small kitten in its mouth which is pretty firm <laughs> but nevertheless she woke up uh, uncle al up and he jumped up and ran out found a sailor and said why have we stopped because the ship had come to a halt and they said he said meh just hit a little iceberg no harm done i guess go back to bed oh no so- big deal don't worry about it too late i'm worried and he was actually not. He climbed back in bed and he said it was hard to fall asleep without the um, vibrating bed, but he finally did. Oof. But then we were shocked awake by someone pounding on the door, and calling them out on deck. So they went to get um, their baby in mm-hmm. uh, his little coat and little hat, which were in the travel trunk. And they couldn't find the keys anywhere. I mean, they looked and looked and looked, where do we put them? And finally, they remembered earlier that day they had given the baby the keys to play with, which is why we realized. <laughs> the baby was fussy all day. He goes, what else do you do with a fussy baby? You know, right. give, him a, give him a toy. And that was the toy. And he apparently had thrown them away. I mean, the baby was just 10 months old. No. So they never found the keys. So they had to leave his coat and hat in the trunk and wrap him in a blanket. And they also had to leave their $100 in American gold coins or life savings. Nice. in heaven, Which is what uncle Al wanted back all his life. And anyway, they went out on a deck and, Sylvia said they had a lovely time talking with people. She was very outgoing and social. And, you know, it was fun talking to people they would have never met. It was very sure. cold. And finally, a sailor said, hey, um, you know, maybe you all want to get out of the wind. And notice the baby was cold. And so a bunch of people went down several flights of stairs to be loaded onto a lightboat mm-hmm. um, from a gangway. Now, the Caldwell said, notice the lightboats being loaded. And they were utterly shocked, shocked, because everyone knew the Titanic was not going to sink. In fact, um, Uncle Al had gone back to the cabin to get another another blanket for the baby, probably to look for the keys again. (laughs) One more try. He stepped through and then back through a watertight door that was still open. Mm -hmm. And he always said, oh, thank goodness the captain didn't push the button to close the watertight doors while I was back there. The rumor was not quite accurate that the captain could push a button on the bridge and lower all the watertight doors. And that's what made the Titanic unsinkable. In reality, that he only could lower the engine room doors, which he had done. But Uncle Al took that to mean the captain didn't think the ship was in that much danger because the watertight doors had not been lowered. You know, so it was a just a mistaken impression on his part. Sure. Anyway, th- so they didn't think it was worth getting Sylvia getting off because here she was, had, had um, neurasthenia, which meant her arms were weak. Mm. How was she going to row a boat and hold a baby? That was almost ludicrous. And I her- hope that no one expected
0: her to actually do both.
1: Well, you know, they're probably putting women and children off. What are they doing? You know, yeah, that's fair. So she, so they, they decided there was no need to get off. But anyway, they went down into the uh, this this lower deck, and nobody ever came to let them on a lifeboat. So they climbed back up, and I didn't even tell, tell this in the talk the other day. But the uh, the only place that they were stopped is as they were climbing up from third class space to second class space on a very steep. La- uh, she called it a ladder. It was a crew stairs. Mm-hmm. You can see it on models of the Titanic. It's, it is pretty steep, but it was meant to be stairs. Right. And it was meant to be off limits to the passengers. But <laughs> way, anyway, uh, a steward tried to stop Uncle Al and said, no more men at this point. And then a woman in their party uh, came around behind him and said, can't this gentleman go to carry his own child? You know, there's no mm-hmm. other woman behind me. And at right. that point, an officer overruled the steward and let Uncle Al go. Mm-hmm. And so they, they made their way up to the, lifeboat deck which which involved um sylvia being pulled up on a swing because she couldn't climb she didn't have the strength right yeah and allowed to climb a ladder um this is a crew ladder by then she had to, he had to climb a ladder holding the baby in the other hand he was very athletic anyway they got up to the deck and they were still not totally convinced but just then a group of stokers came by now here's what uh, 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 a blessing <laughs> uncle al had a camera He had been all over the Titanic taking photographs. Wish we still had those photographs. Mm -hmm. But one of the um, photographs that he took was of the Stokers in the engine room. And he had then had the idea for a 1912 version of a selfie. He had said, can I shovel the coal into the furnace and you take my picture? And so they, you know, the guy said, sure. And they exchanged camera and and advice on how to look professional. And they also exchanged names. Mm -hmm. On this crucial moment, as they're standing up by the boat deck, here came one of those stokers, a bunch of stokers, but one of them recognized him and called him by name. He said, Mr. Caldwell, if you value your life, get off this ship. I've Mm -hmm. been and the hold is filling up with water and this ship will go down. Well, at that point, he took that seriously. And that's why uh, at that moment, Lifeboat 13 was going by and the stokers ran and stopped it and got on and the caldwells dropped all their objections and they followed they were the last three on board so um that was how they were convinced to get on it until they of course as we all know from the james cameron movie lipo 13 had all sorts of problems it didn't go down evenly it was one that pitched forward and back and people were screaming and hanging out for dear life And when they got mm. to the line they were in front of a condense, condenser pump throwing water out of the titanic and they were all drenched, and Uncle Al said he had to cover the baby, lean over the baby to keep him out of the wind, as he recalled it, but I know it was to keep him out of the water, too. Mm. Anyway, so they were kind of drenched, <laughs> and so the men hastily untied the um, oars to use them to propel the 13 out of the water, out of the way of the pump water, right. and I put them underneath 15, but you know, no matter, all they had to do was pull a lever to release 13 from the side of the, the big ship, but no. The lever was gummed up with shiny red paint. Oh, I still remember Uncle Al telling me that when I was about twelve and I had not realized the Titanic was in color. Because <laughs> it was before Oof. the James Cameron movie. It was it was so funny. I remember with a shock. Of course it was in color. What? How stupid are you? But anyway um, so um, the, this paint had pulled on the mechanism and they were stuck and the women were screaming to stop lowering the boat above. And finally the boat above got so close they could pound on the bottom. And mercifully that boat got the message and Sylvia said person from the boat above threw a knife down and that's what they cut themselves free with oh good and they rode away half a mile and that was the first time they realized the titanic was in trouble and by then it had maybe i think 20 more minutes i mean they literally they could not see any trouble and so it's not a surprise to me that a lot of people could not perceive danger aboard and they were they had the horrible situation of watching it go down and um it did break in half, he said, and momentarily the stern looked like it might float, but then it too went, went down, as he said, with a gentle swish, she was oh. gone, that's how he described it. And um, then the cries started, everyone who had been thrown into the water, and um, it, 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 as Sylvia said, the cries were the weirdest, most appalling, most heartrending noise ever mortal might hear. Mm. One man on the boat said, it's just people singing, and her response mm. to that was, but who could be deceived? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I asked Uncle Al about that when he was 90 because I had not remembered him speaking about it. And he he was always full of smiles. He just was a very happy person. Mm -hmm. And the time the smile went away and his face just turned gray. And he said, You just have to forget the screams or you'd go crazy. And even as a 15 year old, I realized he had been actively forgetting the screams all those years. Yeah. So, anyway, there they were stuck on the North Atlantic, not sure if they were going to be picked up or not. And they kept scanning the horizon looking for a light. All they could see were light light boats. Finally, a young man on the boat said, I think I see a real ship on the horizon. And Uncle Al couldn't see it, neither could Sylvia. Mm -hmm. And they were pretty young. They were in their late 20s, but they they were, you know, discouraged. They they didn't dare hope. But after another hour, they could see there was a ship coming. And indeed, when dawn broke, it was right there. And it was the Carpathia. What they had turned down in Naples for being too small. And now it looked very large to them from the water line where they were.
0: Yes, large, inviting, and appealing, I'm sure.
1: And very, they were very grateful <laughs> to be on her. And, uh, you know, they, they pulled the Carpathia's crew, pulled the baby up in a sack, and pulled um, Sylvia up in a swing, and Uncle Al had to climbed the ladder. And um, they were reunited, and they began to realize how much loss there had been and how fortunate they were to all three still be together and um uncle al was on the side of the titanic that allowed men off a lot of people don't realize there was such a side one side allowed men and the other side did not so they they were a little bit taken aback with how many were lost and well maybe a lot taken but They were just horrified and uh, anyway the carpathia decided to turn around and go back to new york and that was where their friend picked them up the, the official from their college in missouri and uh And they managed to miss the ambulance waiting for Sylvia to take her health (laughs) before they would be paid back. So they kind of dodged that bullet. Good for them.
0: Able to somehow get around that.
1: Yeah. Which they may or may not have known about. I kind of suspect they did and just never talked about it. So that over time it became not part of the story, you know?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's just, such an incredible story and a very, in, not not irony, but a very interesting piece of irony, to, as you were saying, like, oh no, the ship that we didn't, no, let's not take that one. That's the one that suddenly decides to come to your, not decides, but that's the one that comes to the rescue.
1: Yeah, it really was. They were really uh, amazed. It was on her way. You know, they said she was on her way to Gibraltar, which was true, but our, her further stop would have been in Naples where they had seen it the first time. <laughs> Uh, you know, so that was kind of a uh, a bit of irony. There was a, an exhibit on the Carpathia somewhere, uh, I think maybe at the Belfast uh, Museum in Ireland. And they asked if anybody had a good Carpathia story. So I sent that one in and a friend who was able to go said she saw it. They had published it there. Uh, you <laughs> know, it was kind of cool. They thought it yeah. Carpathia. I think that is neat. I,
0: I feel as though the one part of the story that is often a little bit left out is maybe the Carpathia
1: itself. It was pretty important in the whole titanic thing pretty much so every year on the anniversary of the carpathia being sunk in world war one somebody will post a picture of her going down which they did take someone took and i always write thank you carpathia <laughs> you were a good ship As you know it meant a lot to us as uncle mm-hmm. l's family that that uh he lived to tell the story
0: yeah i know that the second part of your talk is as you said things that you found out that That was a very abridged version of, I think, his story. Do
1: you have a sort of abridged version of like the post? I can make one. Um, Yeah. So when he died on March 10th, 1977, Mm -hmm. um, among the things that came to my mother, who is one of his heirs, he had two sons and they were his heirs. And then his second wife, Jenny, had three uh, nieces and nephews and they were her heirs. And so everything went to these, these five people. And my mom went up, it's a little interesting personal family history. My grandmother, Uncle Al's sister-in-law died on the same day, just by coincidence. And Mm my father was, of course, grieving her mother, who had been lost, but they needed to go break up Uncle Al's apartment very quickly because they didn't want to continue paying rent on an empty apartment as Aunt Jenny, his second wife, moved to a nursing home at that point. And so she went up there in her grief and didn't realize they were, taking furniture and stuff out she kind of missed that memo and so she wound up with all, the, all the paper goods so in the end we wound up with this wonderful photograph mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're able we had to do a lot of research to find out that it was definitely the titanic and it's been authenticated wow. many times over so there they are on the titanic and wow how did that get taken and we i thought we would never know that and um and then i began to realize a lot of stuff we had never asked like uh you know why do they not take the carpathia? Uh, was Sylvia really sick? We always heard rumors that she wasn't really sick and all this kind of stuff. And really, I got I needed to at that, at that point, at the point of trying to write the book many years later, I tried to get to know Sylvia better because Sylvia and Uncle Al divorced divorced in 1930. Mm-hmm. And in 1936, he married my great aunt. So we knew him and his second wife, but we did not know her. And so trying to look up her story, that's when I began to find out about her sickness and the fact that they were under suspicion because of her sickness. And that uh, I I went to the Presbyterian archives and told my husband, guess what, honey, we're going to Philadelphia on vacation. So we took our two sons to Philadelphia so that I could go to the archives. And I looked up why they had resigned and, and there was absolutely no information on why they resigned. That was so interesting to me. It just said resigned. And uh, so over time, I had to order the minutes of the Siam um, uh, um, mission. And they'll tell you that they're they when they filmed these back in the 1950s, they were just done willy-nilly. There's no rhyme or real rhyme or reason to it. And they just warn you at that point, good luck. <laughs> and so as it turns out, oh, this really struck me too. You know, we call everything the minutes of a meeting. And I just think they're the notes of the minute meeting. Well, back in that day, or at least in that mission, each little piece of information was on one index card and that was one minute. So you mm-hmm. had to go through all these index cards on microfilm. And I finally found, um, the Sylvia's doctor's diagnosis and, uh, wow. also found friends <laughs> who had also been scrapping it up with the mission, trying to leave early. Mm-hmm. And his friends names were Connie bear. And I thought that was an unusual enough name. And I discovered, um, you know, that he taught later at the University of Iowa while my great-uncle was um, a principal in the same town, school principal. Anyway, that, their name, Connie Beer prompted their grandson to say, I bet we could find their descendants. Why didn't I think of that? But he did. <laughs> and he found their granddaughter, and she had their diary. So we were able to prove that Sylvia definitely was sick. Now, she was sick while being pregnant, as I right. said. That was where the difficulty came in, the male boss saying well women are sick when they're pregnant what else is new and is <laughs> saying this is not this Normal. not to me even yeah. though she was pregnant, but she was halfway around the world I'd have been afraid too same it, so I started you know finding out about her illness and and the need for them to travel and then I found out about her seasickness that way she wrote to her alumni magazine that she was seasick every single day and, uh, you know, you just don't normally write to your alumni in a magazine about seasickness. C- you usually write about <laughs> your children or something like that, your that's job, true. at home. But anyway, your dog, whatever. But she was writing about seasickness. C- so, you know, it was really bad. Uh, and, yeah, well, uh, that's consuming your your entire brain. Right, exactly. And also, found in Uncle Al's things, one of the great treasures my mom wound up with was a booklet called Women of the Titanic Disaster that Sylvia wrote in 1912, just a mm few months after if not right after and it was published um by a company out in missouri and as far as we could tell there are only two copies left in the world um one wow. in the state archives and one in my um you know safe place where i keep it and uh it turned out that ultimately sylvia was a um an employee of State Farm, and she was the secretary to the boss, and, and eventually she married the boss. And that's why they came to have this, this document in their archives. But as far as I know, there's not another co- a copy of it. But wow. in uh, researching Excuse that me. copy, I discovered that was her topic. She was supposed to speak on Women of the Titanic on the Chautauqua circuit right after they got out of the Carpathia. You know, they didn't have a job anymore. They had lost their jobs because they had quit. Right. And, Humorously to me, and interestingly, the the um, press did not understand that they thought they were on their um, furlough, as they called it, kind of a sabbatical, mm, and right. uh, they not. They had actually left under some fire and some some cloud of suspicion, and so they just didn't bother to correct that. And um, every time, as I discovered in the press, that they were expected to speak, Uncle Al would speak, but Sylvia would not, and. Oh. She would always be given like he was telling me, sorry, my wife couldn't speak because she had nervous prostration and things like that. Right. He said about women in that era. Well, I don't really believe she had nervous prostration about speaking because she had won awards for speaking in college. Yeah. And she spent her her time as a hobbyist on stage, that right. she was a community theater actor. So I don't think she's a, had stage fright. I think she was nervous about possibly being found out or being accused of being not sick and, and I did uh. notice that almost every place she was expected to speak if not everyone that we know she was expected to speak had a religious connection and so that if people thought well this woman was a missionary and we, they got wind of the fact that she was uh, fleeing for her health and now she looked really healthy they might have been afraid they'd be called to go back so she conveniently bowed out but one of the um, the, the topic she was supposed to speak about was women of the Titanic disaster mm-hmm. and Apparently in Oregon, Missouri, um, they commented that she had written this book and they, she was selling it by subscription. So please buy it. And I noticed that the publisher of it in um, St. Joseph, Missouri, I discovered that he was the proprietor of the Chautauqua there so that he was probably the one who published it for her. I mean, he was probably she was supposed to speak of that Chautauqua and bowed out as well so that in the end, you know, they got the story out of her as a piece of paper and it was mainly it was interesting it was a large um uh, a lot of eavesdropping on women in the carpathia she was listening to them talking about their experience now of what were they going to do next and it was really touching mm-hmm. one of them turned to her and said i'm not saying this to you because you're an american but I'd rather be going to America in this condition than any other country in the world, because they were going penniless. They literally just had the nightgowns that they were wearing when they got off the ship, they hadn't spent. And in that era, a lot of women were not educated to have a career. Right. You know, many would find something that they could be paid for, but it was a big life change and tragic for them. And uh, so they were, you know, a lot of them had complimentary things to say. Another one um, commented, never mind i've never met an american without a big heart they will take you know and that was one of those things i'm sure she was hearing the most complimentary comments uh, but it 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 moved her to write about them and that's what the book is filled with is what the women were saying on the carpathia Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that that was pretty um i don't know revelatory to me I, i liked her eavesdropping and it was really interesting to hear
0: I mean, sometimes it's not necessarily that it's eavesdropping, but sometimes it's just being able to overhear about the impacts of things that you were involved in.
1: Yeah.
0: That's really, number one, thank you for talking at the convention. And number two, thank you for sharing your story here. Um, You know, the one thing that I've learned via doing this show is that everyone's personal story matters for the continuing of the legacy of the Titanic because there was so many people from different walks of life that were a part of this. It's important to learn about the stories of people like Albert that, you know, maybe weren't hit by the
1: mainstream. Right, I agree. Thank you. Yeah, because I know everybody, you know, knows Molly Brown and she's an interesting character. No sure. Child, everybody knows about John Jacob Astor and his wife. And, and you know, they are interesting and they were the celebrities of their day. Mm-hmm. The Taylor Swift of their day. Everybody followed <laughs> but people like uncle Al were not followed. He was just a school teacher and his wife was also a school teacher and they were ordinary people. Now there were second class instead of third class and on the Titanic's roster mainly because the church would pay that much money for them to cross, Mm -hmm. but they were just ordinary people, middle-class people, you know, trying to get home. And I think their story is fascinating. Plus I also love that, you know, I know this story personally from uncle Al himself and, um, That often, when the more famous people, you get a several degrees removed story because they were already famous in the media, and people kind of had a uh, a picture of them. That if they Mm -hmm. knew the person, might not quite be accurate. You know what I mean? I'm not saying they. I don't know because I've not made a study, but I know that when you get this celebrity aura around you, that the story becomes removed into the celebrity field. Whereas Mm -hmm. a a person like a Wow, who wasn't a celebrity, um, right? His more immediate and more i think probably in most cases true to what happened or true to what he was and so I, I i love that aspect of it
0: yeah i i also just think that no matter who you are a story is important you know titanic didn't have six people on it it had <laughs> you know and a small society carried in it yes, a it lot is. of That's yeah it's a lot of stories and a lot of hopes and dreams and fears.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was a, a good description of it.
0: When did you decide that you like, I'm getting to the end of my time with you, but when did you decide that you wanted to actually put this down into a book? Cause writing a book is, it's not just like a thing you wake up and do for a few hours. That's a, it's a big effort.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's hilarious is that when uncle Al, um, told me the story and I remember it distinctly from the time I was 12 years old on although I remember knowing it ahead of time and being afraid of the story when I was a little girl we were watching a movie on tv about the Titanic and my mother turned to me when death, death voice I call it when she was somebody had died she said Julie and I thought oh no what's that mean your uncle was on that ship. And that freaked me out, scared me. But I was just a little kid. I was in about fourth grade at that time. But when I, when I was 12, we moved near uncle Al and we got to see him frequently. And he, he probably had always told me the story, but at that point I started to really, every time I see him say, tell me the story, I recognize his importance. He influenced me to be a history major in college that way. I was so excited. Anyway. uh, So I had always loved his story and I retold it. he, he passed away moments before I set off for college. I mean, maybe a few months before. And I've had several college friends tell me, oh, gosh, you pinned me to the wall and told me his story back in college. And I, Did I? You know, it's kind of funny. So I've always retold his story and I've loved it. But I corresponded with Walter Lord, the famous author of the Titanic uh, book, A Night to Remember, mm-hmm. and told well story he said yes that's the stories he told to me and i continued to correspond with walter lord a little bit as i found record i'd saved his letters do i remember it all that clearly well no because one of the things i sent him was that my second little boy i named alden we named alden for alden caldwell of the titanic Mm -hmm. and i had a notation from walter lord saying congratulations on your alden do I remember writing that I had a toddler little boy and an infant little boy. I don't remember writing. Thank goodness. I had the piece of paper, you know, that young motherhood time. It was a kind of a blitz, but anyway, yeah. I said to him in that letter, uh, someday I want to write a biography of uncle Al mm-hmm. and I now at how, you know, intense young motherhood is. And I couldn't, I don't remember saying that, but it came to me in the most unusual way. I wrote an art uh, a, a book about the Wright brothers, mm-hmm. uh, I live in Alabama and I discovered the Wright brothers just spent a really interesting semester in Alabama, running a flying school in 1910. Yeah. You know that even though I'd grown up in Dayton where the Wright brothers are from. So I wrote a book about that. And um, I would, I every time I write a book or anything important, I take it around and get people who contributed to it to sign it. It's my copy of uh-huh. the signed book. So one of my blurbers on the back, was a, a mentor to me and i took him a ticket to him and i had him sign it mm-hmm. and he's too bad you didn't think to write about the titanic didn't you have a relative on it and i thought oh apparently i told him the story too <laughs> so i contacted my publisher and said hey i have another book for uh-huh. you for the 100th anniversary of the titanic and um so that was february and they wrote back if you can have it by october we can do it Ooh. get it out university and by golly you know i uh, it was the most fun summer i ever spent working night and day on that and uh anyway it was great and by then the, the boys were a little bit older so that I <laughs> had kind of a little bit of breathing room mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so i yeah believe my my own son alden by then who had been an infant before is now 14 so my boys are kind of self-sufficient by then they were in high school or about to be in high school so um, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, anyway, uh, so it turned out to be, um, you know, a very fun, intense summer of working on that book, which I thought I knew. I told my publisher, I know this story like the back of my hand, but then I realized, well, I didn't know Sylvia's story. And that's when I began to really do a lot of research and discover that they were fleeing against their boss's will. And that they were, you know, that the, 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 there was a, a person waiting for them to pick them up and they the, friend from missouri whisked them out of the way of the of the you know person waiting for them you know it was pretty exciting it was an exciting summer that sounds exciting and
0: i mean that's already a lot of work and i know that you do this talk a lot but do you have any upcoming plans for like other titanic related stuff are you going to more events
1: well i go to the titanic con mostly every year i've been to it since it started the year I had COVID. I decided I better not go at that point. I didn't have a bad case, but I didn't want to spread it. So I, I did appreciate miss-
0: it. That was my first year and I'm immunocompromised. So thank you. I'm sad I didn't get to meet you that first year.
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I go to that generally every year Yay. and I get asked about the Titanic, speaking about the Titanic a lot. I speak in, you know, ladies garden clubs, you know, historic groups, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, people ask and I speak about it. And, um, it's one of my more popular, I speak about all my books, but it's one of my more popular subjects. Okay. And, um, so I, when anybody asks, I find a way to get there, or we work out a way. And so that's my main goal right now. I, I don't have any particular things in the works about Titanic at the moment, but I'm always spreading the word.
0: <laughs> well, I, I hope that you're planning on coming to next year's convention. It's gonna be back in Tennessee. I imagine.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of, uh, I don't know if it is or not, but I heard him say that a lot of the stars had to bow out and were begging to come back, you know, bowing out because of the uh, actor strike. Right. And they were saying back another year. So my thought was, well, it might be back in Las Vegas. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Probably be back in Tennessee, but I don't know. I'm not the one to ask. Uh, either way, my general plan would be to come. Unfortunately it comes very close on the heels of me starting school mm. and uh that's a little bit of a worry and and but last year it worked
0: out so there you go yeah i hope it works out again this year because yeah my plan is to go again i i don't dislike vegas but it's just it's such a busy and chaotic city
1: it is kind of chaotic isn't it
0: (laughs) yeah there's nowhere you can go for some quiet there's you can go places for loud you can go places to for more loud (laughs) good description (laughs) It's really all that it is it's like wow where can you go for a quiet nowhere uh, you have to leave the city okay understood
1: uh <laughs> that was my
0: one downside at least in a pigeon forge you could find quiet pretty easily <laughs> that's true uh well julie thank you so much for coming on my show and for telling your uncle Al's story and for talking about your book um for the people who have not read it could you tell us the title one more time
1: Yes, it's called a rare Titanic family, and it's rare because it's rare for a Titanic for a family to survive intact. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's, that's the story great. of my uncle and his family, a rare Titanic family.
0: Well, that's really incredible. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Well, thanks so much. It's fun to, to see you here. Yeah, you too. <laughs> on Zoom, and it's very fun to make your acquaintance. This is great. You
0: too, and I'm sure I'll see you again in the future. So. Yeah. That's the point. All right. Well, thank you, all listeners, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word: Titanic Talkline. T-I-T-A-N-I-C, T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at Titanic Talkline again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!